This is the Future Focus Terminal Podcast, where we talk about challenges operators face and how experts combine human ingenuity, experience, and innovative tech and deliver unprecedented solutions that lead the way. Welcome back. I'm your host, Shauna Fairchild. Today, we're going to talk about innovation acceleration. I have two really awesome guests with me today. And what I can tell you about them is that they really work and they're driving change in the supply chain. And they're doing that by bringing people together to collaborate. And really, it starts with, you know, ideas, and then they take it from development and conception and then all the way into implementation and even scaling. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time talking about it because you don't wanna hear from me. You wanna hear from them. So I'm gonna go ahead and introduce them. I have Liz Ward with ZBox Americas. And then I also have Ian Kinney with Hillwood. And so now without further ado, I will have them introduce themselves. Ian, why don't you go first? Good morning. Uh, Thanks for having me here. Uh, Ian Kinney, I serve as Director of Logistics Innovation for Hillwood, Uh, we're a pro company. Um, really, my role is focused on utilizing the Alliance Texas platform. Uh, so Alliance Texas is a 27,000-acre master plan development here in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Really focused on industrial um, and logistics technology um, recently. We um, utilize this platform and really a lot of our customers put our partnerships to accelerate uh, the transformation of, of logistics technology across the supply chain. and. Uh, um, get to work with a lot of great partners like Con Global on a day-to-day basis. So I'm um, excited to be here to talk a little more about Alliance Texas and our Mobility Innovation Zone and some of our initiatives currently. Thank you so much. Liz? Um, I'm Liz Ward. I'm head of ZBox America, and we have a corporate growth accelerator here in Arlington, Virginia, which is where I am today. Um, so we have the pleasure of working with a lot of great companies like Con Global, on how to accelerate innovation inside these organizations. Um, my background is a mix of, um, of actually I grew up in a family trucking company of all things. So I have a very soft spot in my heart uh, when it comes to supply chain. And I've had experience working in startups, building them, and then also on the corporate side. So this is kind of a nice blend of both, both and all of that, I suppose. But anyway, great to be here. Yeah, great to have you both. All right, so I'm going to pose a question to both of you, just so we can keep it organized. Liz, let's stay on you. And can you tell us why innovation is important to business? Love this question. So I think first it's important to define innovation, right? It's a it's a big word, and there's a lot of definitions. But for me, at least, Shauna, when I think about innovation, it's this constant pursuit of new ideas creative ways of thinking that challenge the kind of the current paradigm, if you will. So this could be really disruptive stuff, or it could just be incremental, um, trying to get better than you were yesterday. But it's really, really important for organizations because in many ways, it's how they survive. It's how they stay relevant and competitive. And all of these things are really, really important in that if you're not focused on innovation or if it's not a part of your agenda, then you just become stagnant and irrelevant. And over time, people just forget about you. And that's how businesses die, right? So I really think about innovation as this, as this kind of constant heartbeat inside an organization where you, know, you have the future in mind and you're kind of constantly marching towards that brighter future. And I think that's just a really good mindset to have in general. And, um, and it's one that companies should 
you know, continue to adopt and implement and want to embody that in their culture as well. That's a great answer. Thank you, Liz. All right, Ian, same question pitched to you. Liz, I could tell that you prepared for this. Uh, that was a that was a, that was a great answer, and uh, you know, uh, you know, really not a lot to add, but maybe just a perspective um, from from us. You know, I was I was thinking about this question, and really, it was for Hillwood, and you know, we're a real estate company. Our job is is you know re- relatively simple compared to um, some of the groups that we talk to. But I think what's important about really what we talk about is you know we have a simple business, but our our business is really the canvas for a lot of our, our partners to enable innovation. Um, when you think about, you know, really these companies that have to innovate, you know, we're certainly one of them. We, we certainly want to be a part of our customers' innovation journeys. But, you know, we're different than most real estate development companies in that, you know, we have an additional, call it, you know, 50% of our 30,000 acres here in Alliance we have to develop. and. The way that infrastructure, particularly, um, is going to change over the next you know, 15, 20, 30 years, um, we're seeing a really fast change in that right now, mm-hmm. and we can't just you know sit on our hands and accept that. We have to be forward thinking um, and be a partner with our customers as that change that. Because if we don't, our buildings become obsolete, um, and we we have to to completely change our business. So. Um, we're trying to stay ahead of the trends, and I think that's I think we're, we're, we're one of those classic businesses that has to evolve. Absolutely. You do a great job with that forward thinking and Thank thinking you. about how you structure it differently in terms of, you know, how much space might somebody need, yeah. you know, outside the four walls or inside the four walls, yeah. or what technology might they integrate, and how do we need to wire differently? And mm-hmm. I love how you think through that. Yeah. So. yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, it's it's not just... You know, there's, there's certainly four walls and a roof, but now it's becoming less about just the, the per square foot, you know, then it was the, the clear height and the cubic foot kind of calculation on the rent. And then now it's also, okay, what kind of access do you have? What kind of fiber do you have? What kind of power do you have? Um, mm-hmm. You know, things like that, that, you know, it's the site selection criteria is becoming more and more complicated. And at the same time, sites are becoming more, harder and harder to, to really develop, um, especially in a market like DFW that's had a lot of growth. I mean, if you look at the stats, DFW is an industrial market now is almost a billion square feet total of industrial square footage. It's a lot of customers. It's a lot of buildings. But at the same time, it's it's also um, here in Alliance, you know, we're now the largest submarket in DFW. And so it's not just Hillwood here anymore. It's getting a lot harder. So we have to think more and more critically about how we prepare for that. True. I think that's a really good point that you're making in that it's not just important, but it's almost a necessity because yeah. everything's changing and it's changing really quickly, in my opinion, you know, especially now and into this, the, you know, the digital age, if you will, things are just moving much faster. And you think about all the customer preferences, you, you know, you mentioned and all their needs and just how fast markets change too. It's like, when you think about innovation, it's not just like a, Oh yeah, maybe we'll do that. It's like you you should. You're like you definitely have to. <laughs> yeah. Like there's some urgency, you know, with making it a priority inside your company. And that's a great point, Liz. So that actually feeds right into my next question. As you think about prioritization, how do leaders really decide what to prioritize in terms of innovation? Or how can they? How should they? Uh, you know, first really getting clear on the why, right? Like why are you even why are you doing what you're doing? 
Number one, does it align to your strategic initiatives, right? And if it if it doesn't, then it's, maybe it's just like a nice to have. Mm-hmm. Um, two is thinking about your your customer and the needs of your customer, the wants of your customer, whether that be you're generating new revenue or you're trying to tap into some you know additional value. But I think having the customer in mind is incredibly important, um, and then. Also, the impact that you think, you know, certain innovations or certain new technology is going to have in your business, like really visualizing what that might look like is also very, very important. And what I see companies kind of go right towards is is not the why are we doing it, why is it important, but the how, right? Like we're all conditioned to kind of like get stuff done. And so you think through, okay, the budget, you know, the resources required, the talent, the time, all this stuff. And you kind of blow through the why because it's not as busy as like figuring out how to get it done, but it's probably more important. You're dead on. Um, you know, obviously we create technology here at Con Global for operators, by operators, and it's that same thing. If we were just creating technology for technology's sake, then that technology would be completely meaningless. But it's really that, again, we understand the challenges that our customers are having because we are also operating you know, terminals or warehouse yards, and so we have those same issues as operators. We've developed that with the customer in mind because at times we are also the customer. So I think that that is a really great point. Yeah, and, and also with startups too. Like I talked to, we all talked to lots of startups all day long, And the startups that are really dialed into the need and the why, those are the ones that do really, really well. Like like they're hyper-focused on the problem that they're solving and the importance of it, not just, hey, I just, I have this really slick interface and we figured out a way to get this working and you're like, great, you know, but like what's the commercialization behind that? Mm -hmm. So I think that pause is really, really important of like, just getting clear as to like why you're doing stuff. Yep. So Ian, same thing for you. Yeah. I mean, the prioritization probably looks a little bit different on your side. Yeah. But. Yeah. I think it's a little bit different. I think, you know, something that Liz was talking about, I think a couple of years ago, you know, we, we saw this a lot with different technologies, but really it was like the technology was developed and it was a great technology, but they didn't know where to apply it. And so a lot of them looked at logistics and supply chain as an opportunity, right? For, for, for some level of technology, um, because they saw the headlines, they saw the ne- the need for tech. That was essentially, you know, a hammer looking for a nail mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. In a lot of cases, those were really expensive nails that didn't really understand the customer. And so I think for us, uh, something that Liz said that I completely agree with is really, you know, you have to start with the why and understanding, you know, what opportunity is there in my company to really drive meaningful change. And I think for us, you know, that goes back to starting with our customers and having that honest conversation and understanding what's the pain point. You know, with us, the pain point, you know, an easy one that, you know, not easy one, but something that's consistent that we hear is, and it's, it used to be, like I mentioned in the last, something we were talking about was really the real estate side selection used to be focused on, you know, really the per square foot cost. And I mentioned all the other criteria now, but really the first criteria we talk about now is workforce. Um, Workforce is the biggest hurdle we have in any industrial conversation now mm-hmm. is where's my labor coming from? What's that labor look like? It's not just any labor. It has to be qualified labor. And so anytime we can help with our customers' labor search, whether that is through technology, making you know maybe a job that's incredibly difficult to hire for, maybe we automate that, like um, some of the automated gate work, like mm-hmm. what we talk about. 
or a, a lot of other functions inside the warehouse, that's where we think there's a really great opportunity to drive change. But that said, though, you know, you still have to have, you know, I don't think any of our facilities are very close to being entirely automated. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we still have to design as if that could happen someday in the future. And so we're thinking through all of that. Um, and ultimately, like I said, it just starts with the customer and understanding the why. Yep. Well, and there are opportunities, right, for automation. And that's what we've done with, yeah. you know, our automated inventory and our automated gates. And we also have a partner at Phantom Auto that does automated forklifts. So, for example, yeah. if you've got a cold storage, you know, that might be a place where somebody might not want to operate a forklift, yeah. right? Um, but it's also you know, it has a lot of other use cases. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you automate some of those things that, you know, are, are tedious and people don't want to do. Um, yeah. Or you're automating things just so, again, you can have you can do more. It's not so you're replacing jobs, right? Yeah. You're doing it so you can take on more things. You're doing it so that you can have employee experience for that labor so that they want to come to work. So mm-hmm. they're doing the things that they actually want to do versus some of the yeah. things that they don't value. Um, so again, you're having that consistent qualified labor that's able to produce and exactly they want to come to work every day. And I think, you know, you know, there was a point there, you know, where the supply chain and operations was just so frenzied um, or frantic, I think, in a lot of ways and chaotic. Um, so it's hard to be thoughtful about implementing a lot of these technologies. Um, but now, I mean, I think now one of the more blessings in disguise we've had over the past few months is there's been an opportunity to be more critical about deploying technology and really understanding the KPIs on, you know, the throughput of a facility, how's technology improving it, and maybe also, you know, is technology getting in the way? And um, is there an opportunity for us to, you know, to work with the, the, the technicians and understand kind of how do we make this better mm-hmm. um, and how do we operate, you know, a, a, a mixed environment? Because most of our facilities, you know, where there is automation, it's, like I said, it's never fully automated. There's, there's a mix of human and automation yep. and understanding how that, how that cooperates mm-hmm. um, and works together is, I think, very critical for these companies. Yeah. Business process is yeah. key, right? Exactly. Um, that's the thing is you can't just bring in automation and expect it to solve for everything. There's the human in- ingenuity piece and the ability to work yeah. with good processes that is critical as well. That's innovation. You know, people, a lot of times, you know, Liz talked about defining innovation, but innovation isn't just technology, right? That's what some people forget is it really is about improving business process just as much as it is about technology. Yeah. Yeah. Technology is almost like um, an arrow in your, in your quiver, you know, to do it. But that's the cool thing though about innovation. There's all sorts of different types of it. Yep. You know, even you think about open innovation, of you know, where you're collaborating externally with partners um, or your key stakeholders that aren't necessarily inside your business, but that are intimately, you know, knowledgeable about it. It's like, it's just, there's so many ways of, um, of doing it, but I, I think at first it starts with the mindset. And especially with freight intensive businesses where it just doesn't stop. It's hard to kind of train your mind to get into that mindset, that growth mindset, whenever it's a, it's a kind of a one big day of whack-a-mole, right? It's like, there's not a problem here. It's, it's there, we're there. And so, you know, getting yourself out of that whole kind of circulatory um, loop, I think is important too. All right, so we're getting close to the end of 2023. Um, as we're looking forward to 2024, what trends are you seeing on the horizon, Liz, and what excites you the most? Yeah, so Shauna, we kind of talked about this earlier, but of course, AI. Everyone's talking about AI. And um, 
which is really interesting because AI has been around for quite some time. So is machine learning. I think oftentimes we kind of get the two confused. You know, artificial intelligence, in my, in my mind, we're a bit further away from true AI, you know, where something else is replicating the, the human mind, like the intelligence of that, like that's pretty incredible. But, but still, I think it's great that we're thinking critically about the stepping stones of like how to, how to embed AI into different workflows to automate them to, you know, free up people's time to do, you know, more critical work. But a lot of this is, you know, the natural language processing. I see this a lot in customer service functions. Mm-hmm. Um, same with the the RPA of just automating a lot of the data entry that goes on and just a lot of the processes too. This is a perfect application for that as well. But, you know, with at ZBox, we're, we're lucky in the sense that we work with lots of different types of companies. But the theme that keeps coming back is the customer service stuff and like using AI to improve that experience, to improve um, how people are trained, the information that they have, you know, using generative AI internally to make information more accessible uh, to folks is another great application. And the last trend um, that I'm seeing a lot is the digital twins. So creating these like replicas of your existing physical supply chain, whether it be a service or a product or whatever it is, and using that as like a really great way to to test new ideas and solutions and to optimize your network. I think that's really cool. And it's really great to see a lot of the new technology in the marketplace that's far more cost effective than it ever was before. And so it's it's very accessible to, to companies now. Ian? Yeah. Um, I take maybe a little bit different approach to this question and really thinking about maybe some more kind of broader trends that are really that we're excited about with our core business. I think there's two things there. One is, you know, intermodal, obviously, you know, we talk about that a lot, but hopefully that, you know, with that starting to look like it's going to be rebounding in the next few months and kind of coming out of that, a lot of our projects that we have here and really our future growth is centered around, you know, intermodal driven development and uh, having that opportunity to work with those customers that are big intermodal users um, to implement maybe uh, electrified drayage and or autonomous drayage um, or remote, um, something we're really excited about, and especially, and, and a lot of that's going to be driven by those customers that really place a value on, um, obviously, carbon savings um, from, a, from a shorter dray, um, also utilizing intermodal, um, but also are just interested in, in, in that innovation cycle like we talked about um, and, and interested in utilizing technology to improve their operations. So there's, there's certainly that side of the business that we're excited about, but then also another kind of big trend that we're seeing is um, the Mexico growth, the Mexico growth story. Um, obviously, being here in Texas, you know, all of us grew up speaking Spanish um, in in our uh, elementary through high school, and so um, we all hablo a little bit of Espanol. But um, when you think about how that's going to change our business, a lot of those companies moving from Asia over here to Mexico for manufacturing operations, it's huge. Um, you know, we're we're a, a seven hour drive from Laredo. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of that truck freight is going to come up here. And I think that what that's going to drive is more need for visibility solutions, um, especially when you think about kind of cross-border um, as well as payment solutions. So there's some groups we're working with that are really mm-hmm. focused on that. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for um, autonomy, given it's a bit of an, an, an unbalanced freight lane. There's a lot of freight moving north and not a lot of freight moving south. Um, and so that's a great opportunity for some autonomy. 
um, to be deployed. Also, it's all, all along I-35. And with I-35 and really a lot of the major interstates in Texas, they've really become the, the hotbed for autonomous trucking here in the state, um, really here in the country. And uh, a lot of c- groups started on the I-45 corridor between Houston and, 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 and Dallas or DFW, and now it's really that Fort Worth to, to Laredo, I think, is one of the next big growth corridors, El Paso and Fort Worth. So does it have a name? You know, big. the other one was the Texas Triangle. What's oh, Texas the new Tri- name? It's still Texas Triangle, <laughs> I think, at this point. It's Texas Triangle plus a little bit. I don't know what you want to call that, but <laughs> open to ideas. But uh, I think, you, I mean, and honestly, the growth story of the Texas Triangle, I mean, you look at how many people are moving here. I mean, I'm shocked that you haven't moved here yet, Shauna. Um, but... <laughs> It's uh, Wait, guys, what's the Texas Triangle? Texas Triangle is, is yeah, exactly. Dallas Fort Worth is the tip of the triangle, and then you've got Houston <laughs> on the bottom right, and then you've got Austin San Antonio on the bottom left. And so, when you look at the population of Texas, it's over 70% is within that triangle. And so, oh, wow. it's, a, it's a big part of the, the, the growth here in the state. Um, but also, that triangle is where there's a ton of freight that moves there because of that population density. And so, a lot of these autonomy companies were initially drawn to the freight density between Houston and DFW. Um, mm-hmm. You know, every every company's got a warehouse on either end of that leg. Not every company, but a lot of the Fortune 500s. So they had a lot, of, a ton of partner uh, and pilot options there. But it wasn't a great use case for autonomy. Um, you know, it wasn't a great cause autonomy. Really, is when that's that 500 hours you're getting over the hours, uh, 500 yeah. miles you're getting over the hours of service um, requirements. You need to have that. Um, it's either a team drive freight or it's intermodal or it's something else. It's not a single driver. So that's why it's been shifting more to that El Paso leg is because you have mm-hmm. that um, that length of, of haul that, that dictates um, the need for, for, for technology. So we're seeing that growth and, um, you know, autonomy and long haul autonomy. I didn't plan to talk about much about that today, but uh, it's still very much a state by state kind of regulatory policy. So there's um, still a lot of work to be done on that. But um, we're excited about it. We think that's one of the areas we'll see a lot of growth. Yeah, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. Yeah. Liz, as you know, I'm super fascinated by what Zbox is doing, but I don't know that all of our listeners know what Zbox does. So can you tell the audience a little bit more about what Zbox does and even how it works and even the benefits to participants? Okay, so at Zbox, we are building um, – a pathway towards sustainable innovation between corporations and startups uh, to help solve some of the most complex problems across the supply chain. So we work with corporations like Con Global, um, other folks across the supply chain like BNSF Railroad, CMA CGM, SIVA, um, Ingram, uh, Ingram Industries. They they run the inland barge um, waterways along the Mississippi. And we work with these companies that play a very integral role in the supply chain and help them think through what are their challenges, you know, what does growth look like for them, and how we can best solve that solve that through all the startups that we've, you know, invested in over the last years that are building really great technology to help accelerate that growth. And so ZBox, our headquarters here in the U.S. is in um, Arlington, Virginia. We're right next door to. Amazon HQ2, which is kind of fun, but we have hubs all around the world. So we have one in Marseille, France. That was the first one. Um, the Caribbean, West Africa. We opened up Singapore this past spring. And then just last week, we opened up Manchester. So that's another really cool part about our business in that we get this insider look into the evolution or the, you know, 
what the um, innovation kind of appetite is in different regions. Um, I was talking to our West Africa hub yesterday and they were telling me that the first startup in West Africa was, was incubated in 2014. And so right now the challenge there is just getting corporations comfortable with the idea of even working with a startup or, you know, being in a, a same kind of meeting setting with a startup. Um, and so it just goes to show you how, how different, you know, different regions are, but you got to meet people where they are. And, um, that's the beauty of it. But really for, for Zbox, you know, corporations that sign up, they're getting access to this global, um, ecosystem of innovators and partners and startups. They're also getting access to really great tech and, and also the, um, we're helping them build the framework from within, you know, it depends on kind of where the company is, uh, along their own innovation journey. Shauna, you guys are very far advanced and, and that you have a lot of, um, you have that muscle built in house. And so you look at Zbox as more of this third party kind of coming in and, you know, being your eyes and ears, um, but yet you're super dialed into to uh, what's already going on. So we're kind of a, a bonus for you. Mm -hmm. But for other companies, like we are their corporate innovation. You know, it's like the corporate innovation of off service. So it's whatever they, they need, but um, that's essentially what Zbox is doing, connecting companies to further advance the supply chain and solve problems. Awesome. So you know, thinking about the collaboration sessions that you've, you know, been a part of with some of these corporations and some of these startups. I mean, what have you seen? What's been effective? What tips can you give people for participating in some of these collaborations? I mean, what have you seen that's been done well? What would you, you know, say could be done yeah. differently that can make, you know, the innovation collaborations more beneficial? Well, it helps when you have leaders like yourself, Shauna, who are you're flattering me. Really dialed in, <laughs> and you're like you're quick to respond. You're you know you're able to assess these companies quickly. You know exactly what you want. That's like the really fun part because you can move quickly with companies like yours. You know, but um, you know I think that it starts with the leadership, of course, and then it also starts with the culture, the internal culture, and that we can make introductions all day long. You know, between startups and partners, and even though it sounds really great on paper. Sometimes you're like, why did that fizzle out? Like that was like a slam dunk. Like what happened there? And I really believe it goes back to the culture and that, you know, if the leadership isn't preaching the importance of, of creating innovation and being um, competitive and relevant and making that a priority, then the culture is not going to, people, you know, aren't going to take risks. They're not going to think as creatively as they probably could. So really important is creating um, a space for people to be heard. And there's all sorts of ways you can do that, you know, really lightweight ways, whether it be creating like an email alias of just ideas at conglobal.com, you know, or a suggestion box or just, you know, cross-functional kind of like lunch and learns. Um, but it's like getting people to talk, I think is number one, because when you introduce new technology, you really need the buy-in. Mm -hmm. from the people that are that are working and performing these, you know, these roles for it to really stick and, and be there for a long time. So I would say that's really, really important. And then lastly, um, I think that incentives for, for folks is, is also a critical part too with the buy-in. 
Like if people feel like they're a part of that success, a part of that, you know, the, uh, the, the shared success, right? Like they're going to want to maybe like make it work a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more. Um, and there's all sorts of creative ways you can do that too. You could start, you know, you could incubate a company um, inside and give people equity. You could do like a rev share agreement, you know, but there is like an opportunity to kind of think more entrepreneurial or I guess entrepreneurial um, inside to get people motivated. The other thing I'd layer on too is, um, you know, when we're talking about creating that culture of innovation is I think you have to make it safe, right? For people to take risks. Yeah. So again, what's the worst thing that can happen if you fail? And, yeah. you know, make sure that people know that it's okay to fail. Um, I think that's yeah. one. And then again, getting people to understand the why with regard to the buy-in. So they have to understand why you're wanting to innovate and why you're trying to make this change and go down this different path. And that's another one that I've seen is if people don't understand the why, there's no way they're going to buy in. Yeah, I think that's great. And it's almost like visualizing what life's going to be like when it's implemented, when it works, you know, getting people really bought in on that vision. Otherwise, it's just another project. It's just another thing on their to-do list. But when you kind of reframe it in, the, in a way where it's like, no, imagine not having to deal with X, Y, and Z or whatever it is, it's a good way, I think, to reframe, um, you know, how people stay motivated and how they participate. So, Ian... Can you tell listeners about the Mobility Innovation Zone, also known as the Miz? Yeah. And, and before I start, Liz, I just wanted to note that you, you listed a lot of cities around the world and for, forgot to, to put some kind of incubator here in, uh, here in Fort Worth. So I think, I think that's, that should be high on your priority list. There's great companies like Conglobal and BNSF that have headquarters here. So uh, Hey, we were talking to the Port of Miami a couple weeks ago, and they're like, can we get a Z-Box Miami? And we're like... Sure. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, we can take this show on the road. I'm just going to say that Fort Worth should maybe prioritize because, you know, you clearly don't have a because central a triangle. I, there's no central time zone opportunity. You, you already have an East Coast one. <laughs> so it just seems like a logical next step. But, you know, I may be a little biased. We we are in the real estate business, but, you know, we'll talk about that more later. Um, anyway. Z-Box uh, Alliance, Texas. Yeah, Z-Box Z Miz. We'll call it. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> So, so, so about the Miz. Um, so I think, you know, I think in my intro I talked a little bit about what Alliance Texas is, but to, to reiterate Alliance Texas, 27,000 acre master plan industrial development, um, really centered around kind of key supply chain infrastructure. So whole project is bifurcated by 35. We've got about 55 million square feet of industrial we've built to date here, uh, just as, as a company, but the whole submarket now is about 75 million feet. Um, the big kind of supply chain assets besides that 35, though, are the Alliance um, Airport, um, Alliance Pro Field, and that is two 11,000 foot runways um, with FedEx Southwest Regional Air Hub as well as Amazon Prime um, on site. Um, that is that was the world, that is the world's first industrial airport. Um, there is no. Uh, passenger aviation except for uh, private out of that airport and so it's a, it's a it's a bit of a unique asset um, we manage that on behalf of the city so we have an operating company that manages that um, but also we own all the land around the airport fee simple so we can do some really creative um, airport um, airport fronting developments on that like what we did with Amazon Prime so uh, we actually were fortunate to build two of the prime facilities uh, the one in San Bernardino California as well as the one here 
Um, and really this one was a, was a significantly faster uh, development timeline for a lot of reasons. But the other really key piece and a lot of what we talk about Cong talk with Cong Global about is the, um, the BNSF Alliance intermodal facility here. So one of BNSF's kind of marquee uh, projects here, it's a, a little bit over a million lifts annually out of this facility. Um, you know, and that's a, it's, it was, it was built in the, in the early nineties. So it's a little bit more of the kind of, um, first generation intermodal models, but what that pr presents is an incredible opportunity for innovation, um, in partnership with BNSF. So they've been a long time partner. We're really excited to continue to grow that. Um, and a lot of that is with Kong global, but really to take a step back with all that. So 27,000 acres, infrastructure, customer base. Um, we've done every asset out here from single family residential, which we had to start building the lots to really answer the first workforce questions we got. Mm -hmm. um, and then once the workforce moved here was where do they shop? Where do they eat? So we started building retail and we started building hotels and apartments and data centers and everything out here. So now it's, I mean, it is truly, um, it's a community mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, it's pretty incredible to see the growth. But all of our expertise in really developing that has led to some interesting opportunities through the years. Um, and one of those that really sparked our innovation journey, um, and I think it goes back to kind of a lot of what Liz was saying earlier, is there almost is that, that catalyst moment where you have that realization that things are changing and you either have to hop on or, or, or get out of the way. And we decided to hop on. Um, and that was when we were approached by Uber uh, in, in about 2016, actually, to become their real estate development partner for their new uh, Uber Elevate project. So. That was their flying air taxi business, so um, using eVTOLs to build um, an urban air network. And they wanted us to be their development partner here in North Texas. We built a vertiport form in Frisco. Mm -hmm. And at that vertiport, they were going to land electric autonomous helicopters, um, fill them with people, and fly them to DFW Airport, um, rapidly charging those vehicles when they touch down, and then ultimately keeping that battery um, between a you know a 50 and 80% charge level. Um, while flying back and forth. So that presented an opportunity to really understand fast charging, uh, understand um, um, aerial integration, understand um, working with cities on a new technology. And at the, right around that same time, we worked with a company called Drive AI, which was an autonomous taxi startup. Um, and we helped them stand up a taxi service also in Frisco, um, moving people between the Hall office park uh, the Star, which is the Dallas Cowboys World Headquarters, um, and, and our Frisco Station project. So back and forth between all three of those projects. Did a little bit over 7,000 taxi rides. Um, and to do that, we had to stand up um, a private 5G network with AT&T. So this has been 5G was really kind of, you know, not in its infancy, but not commercialized. You know, this was definitely an earlier 5G project. But they needed that consistent bandwidth. They needed that consistent um, cell coverage throughout the route to do that kind of remote monitoring of the vehicles. And both those were to the, the movement of people. Both those were in Frisco. Um, and we kind of we had took a step back and really realized that our opportunity to be to play a meaningful role in the advancement of this technology was not in the movement of people. And it was not. I mean, we love Frisco, and it's a great project of ours. But it was really utilizing our core strength, which is industrial development, working with our industrial customers here in Alliance to drive this commercialization of technology. Um, and the movement of freight was our, our thesis was that the movement of freight would really um, be the first mover in this in this space as well. Um, so with that said, we started working um, on defining what that would be and we put the you know the, the, the brand and mobility innovation zone over the Alliance Texas project. 
um, and began working with, you know, at first it was autonomous long haul trucking companies, which is why, you know, we've done a lot of work in that space. Um, and it became really every step of the supply chain. So thinking about from the time a container leaves intermodal facility here in Alliance, to the time that package gets to your doorstep and all the different handoffs along the way, understanding where we have the opportunity to uh, deploy technology um, out really outside the customer's warehouse. We don't have, you know, really haven't cracked that code how to get inside the warehouse yet, but um, everything from yard technology um, to drayage to uh, long haul to middle mile to last mile. Um, and that's everything from um, small package drone delivery to, um, you know, kind of, robotic couriers that look, you know, essentially the size of a golf cart delivering, uh, autonomously delivering things to your front door, to, you know, the autonomous box truck like with Gaddick, to the long haul. So we've got a lot of different use cases here in Alliance. Um, and these companies come here, a lot of them are not from here, um, but they get to a point in their innovation and in their, in their commercialization journey where um, maybe they have a great technology they've developed in a, maybe a market like California, um, where there's an incredible amount of ideas and innovation happening but there's not a great opportunity to build a business. And they get to a point where the technology needs a place to grow. And they need partners and they need a favorable environment. And the state of Texas has done an incredible job of making it simple for companies to come here, wanna be here and be welcomed when they get here uh, with open arms. So that's obviously the regulatory environment here is, is a simpler one. The state has more of a seek to understand first um, rather than seek, seek to, to say no. Um, but also it's quality of life, cost of living, um, and workforce pipeline. So there's a lot of reasons that companies choose to move here. Um, you know, we're happy to be a part of that, but ultimately it's at the end of the day, it's how do we utilize our infrastructure better and prepare for kind of the next 30 years of Alliance Texas. Fantastic. Yeah. A little bit long winded, but yeah, that's, yeah, I, I think that's you what should I get run for governor or something. You know, I, I appreciate <laughs> that, but, uh, you know, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he says now. I like my private life. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I saw a couple of those little tidbits. Um, a question for you, though. Is yeah. there a big sustainability element to yeah. so, what you're building? Yeah, of course. Texas is different. So we're not California where there's, you know, kind of this state-led initiative like CARB. You know, in California, CARB really forced a lot of companies to think about idle emissions, yard emissions, things like that. And there was a lot of technology that came out of tracking that. So there was that sustainability tech layer. A lot of EV Dre started getting deployed. Texas hasn't done that at the same level. With that said, though, all we work almost because of the size of buildings we build, typically our buildings are 250,000 feet to a million two. So kind of that, that larger square footage, which is typically your Fortune 500 type companies. Just about half of the Fortune 500, if not more, have a sustainability initiative where they're trying to hit a 2050 or 2035 goal. Um, it used to be really just the European automakers. You know, we get the RFP and it was, you know, how do you, you know, define your, your scope one, two, three emissions. And, it, you know, a lot of us, a lot of it was like, we have no idea what this even means. You know, we're over there on Google trying to figure out what's, what scope one, two, three is. But the uh, um, what that has changed is now we have the opportunity to really say, you know, companies that are doing it elsewhere, why not do it here? Um, we have the mechanisms here to do it kind of on your timetable um, to help. And that was kind of more with the infrastructure thing is we know the EV's coming. We know the hydrogen's coming. Um, so how do we prepare our buildings with more power and more flexible options? So when that day comes and our companies 
can actually get their hands on EV vehicles, um, how do they deploy them at, at, at our facilities um, or in them and around them? So yes, we're seeing it um, more and more common. Texas is not where they think of first, but it's definitely becoming a place that they want to do it. Yeah, even as we talk to folks about our yard management services here in Texas, I'll tell you that that um, conversation is coming up. So yeah. we are talking about, you know, can you deploy EV hostlers in the warehousing yards? Um, we're having discussions about, you know, we talked about it on one of our prior podcasts, but we use Samsara technology. And so that can reduce, you know, we have a program where we reduce idling. And so we can point to, again, our emissions reductions and things like that. So yeah. that's going over really well in the warehousing space. Industrial, you know, the, the classic a lot of companies did was, you know, the, the rooftop solar. That was, you know, everyone was like, yeah. we're green, we do rooftop solar. When you look at how much power that really puts, it's it's barely enough to keep the lights on. Um, you know, it's it's really not a meaningful impact. And part of the, the beauty in, is that we don't have the optics here in Texas because, um, you know, we're, we are the largest renewable producing power state in the U.S. Um, a lot of our West Texas energy, energy production through wind and solar is, you know, a, by, by virtue of that, about 50% of the power we consume here in North Texas is renewable power. You just don't see it on your rooftop. Um, and so a lot of it with us is an education process and helping our customers yeah. kind of think through that. And, you know, but there is still, there are some, still some customers that say that's great. Um, but for the workforce that I want to retain um, and attract, I would like to have some level of onsite solar or some level of onsite energy production, um, whether it's customers or workforce. And, you know, when that happens, we've done it a few times and we're happy to work with them. But um, it's, it's a little bit more of an education process. The other one that's easy from a sustainability standpoint, too, is the automated gate. So at yeah. warehousing sites, you know, we've been able to take a process that, you know, in the past could take you know, as long as two minutes for someone to check in. And we've now reduced it to 10 seconds with our automated gate. So you have no idling at the gate, yeah. which is also a substantial emissions yeah. reduction. Yeah. I mean, when you think about some of these facilities and, you know, over 100 dock positions and, you know, really pretty aggressive, not aggressive, but uh, frequent throughput through their facilities and, the amount of trucks that are coming in and out of there. I mean, a lot of these guys, end of the day, it's mom and pop owner operators. So they're not gonna be the ones that will deploy EV fleets out of the gates. I mean, you're kind of large fleets, sure. But your opportunity to drive impact on your, on your carbon footprint is through efficiency at that point. It's how do you minimize the wait times? How do you minimize the, you know, the idle times like you mm -hmm. mentioned? Um, and that also goes to how do you run a more, if you're doing live load, how do you have a more efficient operation at your warehouse? Mm -hmm. And that goes to technology inside the warehouse Absolutely. too. So there's a yeah. few different levers you can pull to really help that. Um, and it's, it's really just, it's, it's not a one size fits all for all warehouses and facilities. So you touched on it a little bit in your last answer that you gave Ian, but are there any tips that you can give people based on your work in the Miz on scaling with innovation? Yeah, I think uh, I talked about it a little bit, like you're right, uh, earlier, but I think it's actually, you know, we've kind of been seeing this happen over the past, you know, really year is it used to be really a frenzied push for get as many logos on a, on a pitch deck as possible, as many pilots as possible, as many logos as possible, get to the next funding round as fast as possible. And, and, and that worked for a lot of companies. But I think what we've seen is a gradual shift into building meaningful partnerships with a few companies, understanding their business very closely and scaling with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been the really successful companies is 
you know, it's great to deploy, you know, once again, like using the autonomy example, one or two trucks is not going to make a difference. What's what that's going to do is yeah. show me the tech maybe works, but where we're really interested in a lot of these fleets get interested is how does it integrate into an overall fleet in our transportation needs? And you can't really demonstrate that until you have some kind of achievable scale. So a lot of that becomes identification of the right lanes that you're going to run. A lot of that becomes, you know, the right locations you're going to operate and utilize this at. Um, and that goes back to, I think, what we're trying to do here is, you know, there is going to have to be some level of integration between different technologies. You know, I think, you know, a lot of companies do this um, and technologies do this is they build in a silo um, and there's no thought to, you know, how do we over time begin to integrate into a larger transportation system, mm -hmm. which is a huge question to solve. And I think, you know, there's been so many solutions over the years that have promised this kind of, you know, um, magic orb perspective of transportation. And, you know, we've had some digital twin options that have pitched, you know, the whole kind of visual of Alliance Texas, mm -hmm. but that's a huge amount of data. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think customers yeah. are still hesitant to see the value and the ROI on building that level of data visibility out. Um, and you can't get to that point until you have achievable scale in your transportation. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think really that focus on a few kind of key MVP partners is super critical right now. The other thing I'll add on the point that you made with regard to integrating with others technology is a lot of people have taken that yeah. siloed approach and, you know, that's not going to work, right? Yeah. You have to be able to collaborate with others. And it's, it's really not that hard. You know, we've taken that approach with all of our technology and we've told people like, hey, we can integrate with all of you and, you know, we hope you'll integrate with us, right? Yeah. And we don't take that kind of pride of ownership approach of a, you can only have our products, mm -hmm. you know, we'll plug into anything. So, oh, you want to use uh, our inventory, but not, yeah. you know, our gate or not our yard management, you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be happy to provide yeah. one and, and, you know, we can work with your yard management system if that's what you want to use. So. I think people have to get over that you have to use all my products because I'm not going to integrate with someone else. Yeah. That's that's a, you know, yeah. trend that has got to end. Well, it's, it is the mindset, Shauna. I mean, you guys clearly are you know, leaning into everything, just kind of trusting. There are so many companies who just say no to say no. Yeah. And not really thinking through the benefits of integrating or the, the reality of, of the threat, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, no, because we haven't done it before. Like, you see that a lot in trucking companies, yeah. actually. Yeah, and like just how difficult it is to really swap over your TMSs and, you know, how difficult, you know, integration has been. I mean, that's, yeah, it's a difficult process to truly integrate or, and or shift. And that, some of that is by design. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of the reality of it is, you know, Yes, we want to integrate, but also I don't want to lose your business. And so having to understand that is super critical for some of these companies. Again, I'm going to ask both of you. Um, and uh, I've been starting with Liz when I do both of these questions. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to switch it up. I'm offended. I mean, I, I thought you I might mean, be offended, first, but I'm offended. So I'm going to switch it up this time. I'm going to let you go first, Ian. Um, how do organizations become better innovators? Yeah, so I, I was I was thinking about this and, you know, we've kind of touched on it a little bit at a few different points here, but. I think you have to have that organizational buy-in from the top all the way through. Um, you know, you have to have an, an understanding at every level of why we're doing this. Um, but also I think what we're really seeing is there has to be that internal kind of person that is, who's going to spearhead this project? Who's going to really, you know, champion this throughout the company? Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't have to be, you know, 
the chief innovation officer, you know, some C-suite. You know, a lot of that times, you know, it could be at the warehouse level and understanding like, this is why we're doing it. This is where we're going to do it. And I have got my leadership approval to go do this. And um, I think that's super important. And really identifying who those kind of people are that could really drive meaningful change in the business. And like we said earlier, making that value case to show we're not just doing tech for tech's sake. This is a real need that we have to do to really impact our business or this will happen. And I think there has to be that showing of if we don't, this is what will happen. And, uh, you know, there's been some really great companies that are kind of more of that just traditional industrial tech. I think honestly, I think Brandt, you know, we were talking one time about, you know, really the imperative for Con Global to start utilizing technology. And the point that he made to me that day, and I think this is really, this really runs true with a lot of our, our, our customers out here is it's not a matter of a nice to have to deploy some of this technology. It's a matter of if I don't deploy some of this technology, my business will not be around to deploy technology in the future. Um, the example he gave was, you know, you guys obviously have a lot of facilities in the Midwest. My generation, you know, I, I am a millennial. I'm proud of that. Um, I'm a millennial. Um, we typically, you know, a lot of us, and especially the, the generation behind us, you know, the outdoor jobs um, aren't, aren't, our, aren't our favorite. Um, you know, there's obviously anomalies to that, but the con global job potentially of operating a yard truck in the middle of night um, when it's snowing outside in the Midwest, um, that's not appealing. I mean, there's, there's not enough you can pay my generation to go do that job. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can't do that job, then your facility can't be, be as operationally efficient as possible. So there has to be some level of, of innovation to really tackle that just kind of huge workforce problem that's coming. Yep. Which we are doing, as yep, you know, exactly. with our product called Dynamic Dispatch that we uh, have worked with uh, Phantom Auto um, to create. So um, we're solving that problem. Uh, the younger generation, the millennials, will be able to work in the comfort of an office building in the middle of the night in winter yep. driving a hostler truck. Those dang so. millennials. We're always a problem. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we're the reason everything's bad. All right. I think the Phantom Auto thing's so cool. Yeah. Like, that is, like, one of the coolest you know, examples of technology. And yeah. it's a win-win, right? It is. Yep. I mean, that's the thing is, I mean, Ian made the point, but it, again, there are not people that, you know, want to do this work, you know, again, in the middle of winter in Chicago overnight. So again, we're providing opportunities and, you know, solving the labor challenges that yeah. Ian talked about yeah. in the beginning. I think what's cool there too is, you know, the, you know, when you think about kind of when that when that technology truly becomes you know uh, at a commercial scale and that you know in maturity, the ability to really utilize a one labor pool for multiple different locations, I think, is super exciting for for a lot of our customers because obviously the, the the technology applies over to the forklift side of things too. Mm -hmm. And forklift drivers is one of those jobs that consistently is hard. There's a lot of turnover. It's a higher job. It's a harder job to hire for. Um, it's a lot of competition for qualified forklift drivers. Um, but you're seeing companies that maybe have a labor pool, a really good labor pool here in North Texas, mm -hmm. but they can't hire in Virginia. And so they're mm -hmm. able to operate a lot of their forklifts remotely using their, their Texas workforce. Um, Texas workforce maybe start their morning in Virginia and then, you know, whenever the, the operation slows down there, they can shift over to a central time zone, uh, Fort Worth location, for example, and maybe finish their day in mm -hmm. the West Coast. And 
that's pretty incredible when you think about the power of, you know, that's almost like teleportation of labor. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we'll continue yeah. to see more of that deployment. But that, once again, when you think about the warehouse and why that's important, I mean, we have to have an incredibly robust uh, cell coverage within the warehouse to do that. Um, and a lot of these forklifts now are electric. And so thinking about electric charging inside the warehouse, um, you know, obviously it's three phase, but there's a certain amount of power you have to have to do that. And then if you're doing that in the yard and the in, uh, on the inside, I mean, there's there is upgrades that needs to happen to, to ensure a consistent amount of uh, um, latency for those customers. So yep. that's yeah. why we care. And the good news is, is we are working together to ensure yeah. that that's exactly. going to be happening. So, Liz, is there anything that you wanted to layer on about, um, you know, to answer so, that question? Yep. I would say, and I, I've seen this with all sorts of different companies of different sizes, especially in that, I think it's really important for companies to make sure that they don't take on too much too soon. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes you can get a bunch of people around the table and there's all of these problems that bubble up and you just stay in that problem. You know, you stay in, in that the defeat mode, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I always say to companies, just find like a tier two or tier three problem just to get the momentum, like building inside the organization. Mm-hmm. And, and then celebrate the win. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really important. You know, so much of it's about the deployment and getting it out there, but actually taking a, a second to pause and, and celebrate. I think that's how you make it more of a sustainable kind of muscle inside the organization where it's like you're celebrating this kind of unique behavior that's outside the normal day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would encourage leaders to kind of dial into that and also the marketing piece, you know, share it with the world in hopes that you're probably going to inspire a lot of different companies that you otherwise would have no idea, um, like, know how to reach, right? But yep. So this is a, really just a continuation of this question, but um, to that point, what successes has Zbox seen? And I mean, what have you been celebrating? What can we inspire folks with? Yeah, so we've had the most success, again, with those tier two, tier three problems that aren't core to the actual, to, to the business. And so therefore, if they, you kind of de-risk it. Um, the second you touch a, you know, the core business, people are like, nope, nope, nope. So we've had the most success with, let's say, accounts payable um, functions, you know, automating the invoicing, auditing, reconciliation process, using um, RPA technology, right? And seeing the results fairly quickly in that you're getting your cash much faster. People aren't spending hours and hours reconciling invoices and prices and, you know. So that's like a a small example. Um, At the Port of Virginia, we're deploying um, computer vision technology to help monitor unsafe behavior in the port. So they're a little bit unique in that, you know, they have their, their employees, of course, are, are non-union, but there's union employees at the, at the port that they, they don't necessarily manage, but they're a part of the ecosystem. And so it's like, how do you make sure everyone's like really doing what they're supposed to be doing in a safe way? So I think that's a really great application of, um, of new technology where it just benefits everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of digital twin stuff with folks that are planning out new revenue streams or new service offerings and seeing a lot of really great kind of quick wins with that too. 
but yeah, there's so many things. Um, but I would say really honing in the, those, you know, the level two, three problems is where we've seen the most success right now. All right. Ian, how about in the Miz? Yeah. Um, so when you think about the Miz and what we're after, I mean, ultimately, you know, we're like I've said a few times, you know, we're, we're a real estate company at our core. Um, so our, our wins, um, you know, typically involve some sort of real, some kind of real estate, um, involvement as well. So, you know, but really some kind of key recent wins, um, have really been on the, we, we've had some on the aerial side of things. So, um, this week we announced, uh, MANA, which is an Irish drone delivery, uh, package delivery company, shifting operations here to the U S and, uh, launching their, um, drone delivery service here with our Hill communities partner. Um, we've also done a, something similar with, with, uh, Alphabet's wing, um, drone delivery partner. Um, Clevon is another last mile delivery company that moved their um, U.S. headquarters here from Estonia and has been doing small package delivery um, using uh, robotic couriers here locally as well. So those are all kind of on that last mile level. Recently really starting to crack that code and work closely with our community's partner to, to really deliver um, packages to the doorstep, which has been great. But really, a lot of our you know initial focus and really where I spend a lot of my time is more on that kind of heavy heavy focus of freight. One great example is Gaddick. So Gaddick is um, a company we've been working with with a long working with for a long time, but opened up their new operations and R and D facility here in Alliance recently um, to help service a lot of their customers here in Texas, um, where they've seen some really great commercial growth. And I think that's really the story that we tell often is that you know they came here with with really their kind of primary partner, but really have grown that to, to be numerous more partners on multiple revenue generating routes. And why that's exciting is it's just a testament to the depth of business here in North Texas um, and really what they're able to do. But even more exciting is they're able to hire um, a lot more of the really skilled workforce here than I think they envisioned. And that's been a really good story to, to kind of shifting more of that job function here to North Texas. So. There's certainly that, and then obviously, you know, we're really excited about a lot of the work we're doing with Con Global right now. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to announce more on that front soon. But really, that layers into um, automating the yard, automating the, the the drayage function, and like I mentioned, the intermodal growth. We think that I think we're positioning ourselves right now to be able to capture that growth on the backside. Mm-hmm. So whenever we come out of this freight slump right now, we'll be able to you know really be uh, poised to, to accelerate some of those sustainability initiatives we talked about, as well as um, transportation savings. So there's a few different levels, um, but it starts to end at the warehouse. Um, you know, our, our core business is, is still doing very well. We still have a lot of, of, of great um, activity on the industrial side of things. Um, so that's, that's really good. Liz, what tips can big business learn from small businesses or startups? You know, with, with startups, they're, they're very agile. They have great talent. Um, I, th- I think startups are very good at pivoting quickly when things don't work. That's probably a motion that corporates would benefit from. You know, like I see a lot of, especially now with so many startups, you know, going out of business. I hate to say it, but you know, the WeWork uh, convoy a couple weeks ago, you know, there's something there. And I think there's learnings, probably more learnings now that that startups can learn from corporations. Um, like there's a reason why these companies have been in business for, for all these years, right? And I almost would like reframe that question nowadays. Like what can startups learn from corporations? Cause I think that there's probably more learnings there 
than the other way around, you know, about how to build a viable business, a profitable business, how to build things not the right way, not for investors, but for value and mm -hmm. for with the customer in mind. Um, I, yeah, I, there's a look, there's a lot of startups out there. There's a lot of really great startups, but there's a lot of startups that kind of just squeezed into the whole trend. And in my mind, those are the ones that really could could use like some mentoring, <laughs> you know, with, you know, from from corporations. So I think that would be my uh, my answer to your question. I must reverse that. Yeah, I think I think you're right, though, with your comment on that. It's probably both. So if I had to answer my own question, if I put myself on the hot seat, I would probably say that corporations can learn from startups to move faster, right? Oh, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is that sometimes corporations can get caught up in this analysis and paralysis and trying to make everything perfect and that that sometimes can slow things down. And, you know, again, if you can yeah. take a risk, um, know that, again, it's okay to fail sometimes, you know, ask that question, what's the worst thing that can happen? And if it isn't your company going out of business, then it's probably okay to take that risk. I think that's probably how I, you know, if I put myself on the hot seat would answer that learning from startup. But I think you're dead on when it comes to, you know, startups, a lot of times um, could learn the business acumen from the corporation. Yeah. And you make a great point too, with the speed, you know, of deployment and just this like willingness to try things and then, you know, retool it. There's a lot of bureaucracy and just a lot of just inertia, if you will, inside corporations today. And, you know, it makes you sad in many ways because you get this great talent, young talent that you want to nurture. And then the second they get stonewalled, the third, second, you know, third time they get stonewalled, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like hard to generate that enthusiasm again. So yeah. I think that's a really good point of like making it easier for people to do stuff and try and fail. And it'd be okay to fail. Yeah, I think I come with maybe a little bit of a unique perspective, having been in big corporate America. And now even here, I've got our legacy business and, you know, what I would consider, yeah. it's not a startup, right? But the technology side of our business is, is a lot newer, certainly. And we've been innovating and scaling. So, um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have a dual hat on. Yeah, yeah. and then it's fun. I, I get to do both. <laughs> yeah, I think it's awesome. So again, I'm going to come to you first, Great. Ian, because yeah. you know I don't want to hurt your feelings anymore. Oh no, no, no! Thick, <laughs> thick skin, thick skin. The governor. I know. The just, governor. All just right. teasing you. Um, but obviously, you know, we've talked about it a little bit on and off. Innovation, you know, does come with risks. It has uncertain outcomes, um, and so you have to be willing to take those risks, willing to persevere. You have self-doubt. Yeah. So what advice do you give to teams to overcome those challenges and create that culture of innovation? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to jump in when you all were talking on the last question, but I figured I'd save my answer for now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, I think Shauna, your example is great. I mean, the, the uh, culture that's here at Con Global, you know, from C-Suite, obviously, that you're part of now. Congratulations on the, on, on the recent promotion. <laughs> Thank you. Um, C-Suite all the way through to think of new businesses, to think of new opportunities for growth and how the company changes. Because, you know, there is this level of um, the way the business operated 10, 15, 20 years ago is not the way it's going to operate for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And, um, you know, that's not saying every company has to go become a, you know, a digital marketing company, but there is a, a layer of technology. And I don't think, you know, I had this question, someone asked me the other day, it was, you know, you know, 
what percent of companies are technology companies? And I think, you know, the answer is well, every company should be some level of technology mm-hmm. company. I mean, there's a level of technology that we all have the opportunity to really deploy. Um, but I think almost to what Liz was saying, too, is you have to feel empowered to take those risks. You have to feel empowered to present ideas. And if it's not a good idea, you know, understand the why. Um, but then also be prepared to, you know, to spearhead that uh, introduction to your company. I think, you know, Hillwood, you know, once again, we're, we're, a, we're a kind of, you know, we're a classic business. You know, we are, we build buildings, we rent buildings uh, to our customers. Um, it's a very simple business at, at its core. Um, we have a lot of operating businesses that have sprung out of that company that are a little more complicated. But at the end of the day, I mean, our, the, the real estate is a relatively simple business. Obviously, there's an incredible amount of, of every site's different. But um, where we get, you know, where we have to be very focused is continuing to think about how that needs to change over time. And um, what's been great about what I do is, you know, that's, that's um, our leadership and, um, and down has really been, been encouraging and, and wanting us to think about this. And um, I just say that to really the audience is just to think about, you know, who is that champion? Who's that support that you have to, to really make that change? And we've said it so many times today, but just everyone has to understand the why. Fantastic. All right, Liz, your turn. So I would say um, truly starting with the end in mind, you know, of like what is life going to look like when, when, and if this, this thing does work out, like, I really think that whole piece is important. Otherwise it's just like someone's idea mm-hmm. and that it's just pushed onto someone else and there's no shared success. So creating this culture, I, Someone mentioned it earlier before, the ego. You're like, there's no ego on this podcast. And, and that's what mm-hmm. makes it so great, right? Yep. But it's like really having no ego. It's like shared success. Mm-hmm. Um, because when the company wins, everyone wins. And that's you know the mindset you gotta constantly be reinforcing. And then again, I go back to the, to the culture of like at every single level, you know, I grew up in a family trucking company and I always found that the best ideas came from our drivers. You know, the people who touched the freight, they were the ones who were, you know, visiting the customer every day. And, and these folks, the second you made it safe for them to share something, it was just like you know, idea after idea after idea. And so I would say that, um, that yeah, with the, with the culture piece is like going really deep within to the people that are actually in the business and getting their, their feedback, their input. I think that's like, that's really powerful when, when companies do that. So before we are done here, I ask every guest the same thing, but I will uh, preface this with, you know, I'll tell you how I define the word terminal. Um, so think about it, that it could really be, you know, a rail terminal, a port terminal, a warehouse or a DC yard. So, you know, think about the terminology that broad, but what does future focus terminal mean to you? Ian, go. <laughs> okay. I got this. Uh, you know, when you think about a future focus warehouse and, and, or a depot or a terminal, um, which we get to touch every aspect of that here in Alliance, um, the two words that I like to say are, are resiliency and reliability. When you look across the, the supply chain right now, 
Um, McKinsey put this report out, and it's uh, every 3.7 years on average, there's a major supply chain disruption. That could be everything from COVID to incredible weather events to uh, like wars like we have in Russia, Ukraine, or, or Israel right now that really impact the way you do business. So when we think about technology, it's how do our facilities continue to operate at the highest possible level through those through those disruptions? So that's the um, resiliency aspect and also reliability in that um, in that t- to a degree, but also with reliability, it's thinking about how do you solve that third shift? You know, how do you continue to operate? You know, when we can't hire the right the the, the full amount of labor, mm-hmm. how do we continue to make sure our business provides for our customers uh, and their customers as well? Um, and there's so many different tiers to that that is super important. But I think that once again, technology is one part of that solution. Um, it's not everything but it's certainly an incredible place to start and a great opportunity for these companies to really begin to think uh, through that. And that's, you know, we, we, we can talk about a lot of specific examples of what the, you know, future-focused terminal looks like. And, you know, we talk a lot about smart gates, we talk a lot about automated, you know, warehouse internal systems, like whether it's conveyor or racking or pick and pack or, um, you know, any of the robotics we're seeing now. And I just think, I don't think there's a one, one solution fits all. And I think, I think at the end of the day, it can't be tech for tech's sake. It has to be tech that makes sense for your company and your operation. Good answer. Okay, Liz. Yeah, I, this is a cool question. Um, the future focus part, um, those are really powerful words. And I would say that it's a balance, right, where you can't dwell in the future, right? You can't spend all your, all your time in the future where you're just ideating and nothing's getting done. So I like the focus part to that phrase, because really it's about getting really clear as to what you're all doing, being highly selective as to what you do and when and why, and doing it, <laughs> right? And having the metrics in place and the systems in place to kind of test, to see and iterate, but like, but uh, it's a constant retooling in my mind, but more future oriented. You know, at the heart of it, right? But that's a that's a really good question. I like how you phrase that future focus because it's not all in on the future where you're just, you know, it's too much. You're kind of staying grounded to the core business. Yep, you have to be. Yep, sure do. Well, thank you, Liz. Good answer. I cannot tell you guys how much fun I've had today. Great conversation. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. This was fun. So fun. All right. And to our listeners, also thank you for listening in. And I hope you will follow us so that you never miss an episode. Until the next time, take care.